are listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. Though located in the heart of the Silicon Valley, you will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival preaching from the pulpit of North Valley Baptist Church. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. Take your Bible. We're going to turn to two places this morning. 2 Kings chapter number 5 and then Mark chapter number 1, please. And what a great song. There's a lot of voices right now trying to tell you that you can't make it. That you can't make it over, you can't get under it, you can't get around it, but thank God He can make a way through it. And I'm glad we can just tell all those voices how big our God is. You don't worry about how big the giant is, remember how big God is. Don't worry about how wide the Red Sea is, remember how big God is. And I'm glad we serve a big God. I was listening to some singing this morning and the, uh, the ladies group that we were listening to in our house this morning was singing Leaning on the Everlasting Arms. And I thought about the uh, phrase in that song, What have I to dread, what have I to fear? Leaning on the everlasting arms. I have blessed peace with my Lord so dear. Thank God, leaning on the everlasting arms. And that's where we're at today, and I'm glad we have those arms to lean upon. Preacher mentioned it a minute ago, but it's so true. If you study revival, if you study it, it always happens in abnormal circumstances. In fact, I wrote this down at prayer meeting last night. The only thing normal about revival is it's not normal. That is the only common denominator from every revival that you study in the Bible throughout history. It never happens in ideal circumstances through normal means or when the world would look at it and say, this is the right time for revival. Why does God do that? So he can get the glory. And today that's where we're at. We've been planning this and praying for this and preparing for this, but not this way until just about a week ago. And in my flesh, I've been saying, God, I sure wish people would be in the building. But maybe God has done this so that he gets all the glory out of it. And I would challenge you, if God speaks to your heart, comment on the Facebook feed, email the preacher. But let us know how God works in your heart today, and that will encourage all of us. And I'm looking forward to it. And uh, I was thinking about this a little bit ago when you were giving those announcements, Pastor, and you were encouraging preachers about attendance and, and schools being down. And, and I thought about this just being around you a little bit. He's encouraging you knowing that he has the same fear, and I know that, but I appreciate that faith that he showed, and I thought, I'm glad that I've got to weather this with you here, and it's been a help to me to watch you through this, and I appreciate that. Second Kings chapter number 5, we're going to read just a few verses to get the, the thrust of the story. You know the story, and then we'll go to Mark chapter number 1. Second Kings chapter number 5, I want to ask you to do this. Give God a chance to speak to you. Block out distractions, anything that would hinder, and let's just focus in just for a little while and let God speak to our heart today. We sure do need a touch of revival. The Bible said in verse number 1, 2 Kings chapter 5, Now Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and honorable, because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. He was also a mighty man in valor, but he was a leper. Look at verse number 10. And Elisha sent a messenger unto him, saying, Go and wash in Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. Now verse 14. Then went he down and dipped himself seven times in Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God. By the way, thank God for a man of God. And his flesh came again like unto the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Now, that's a miracle. That's what we would call a God thing. Science couldn't do it. Medicine couldn't do it. 
There's no ointment that could get in the wilderness that could do this. It was beyond the means and capability of man, but God stepped in, and he didn't worry about how big the mountain was. He showed himself bigger than the mountain, and God cured, cleansed, made new a leper named Naaman. I don't know about you, but if I would have seen that, I would have wanted to keep seeing that. If I'd have been there that day, I would have wanted to see it the next day. If I'd have experienced it then, I wanted to experience it tomorrow. I wouldn't want to just see it and then just talk about it the rest of my life. I'd want to see it and see it and see it and see it and see it again. Mark chapter number one, verse number 40. And then I'll tie this together and it'll make sense. Look with me. The Bible said, and there came a leper, Mark chapter one, to him, Jesus, beseeching him and kneeling down to him and saying unto him, if thou wilt, by the way, that's a great statement for revival, thou canst. If thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And Jesus moved with compassion, put forth his hand and touched him and saith unto him, I will be thou clean. And as soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy departed from him and he was cleansed. In 2 Kings chapter 5, a miracle happens. A leper is cleansed. If I'd have seen it, I'd want to keep seeing it. In Mark chapter number 1, a miracle happens. In 2 Kings 5, the hand of God spiritually touches Naaman. In Mark chapter 1, the hand of God physically, Jesus literally touches this leper and he's cleansed. Now what's interesting about that is we would all vote, if you could see it once, you'd want to see it again. If you experienced it once, you'd want to do it every day. If you saw God move like that, you'd think you'd always want to see God move like that. But from my study, from 2 Kings chapter 5 to Mark chapter 1 and the other gospels, it's recorded there. There are no other lepers cleansed. Didn't happen again. And if you studied out Bible uh, chronology, they just say possibly anywhere from 900 to 1,000 years from the ministry of Elisha to the ministry of Jesus. So we're talking about 800 to 1,000 years that God had moved like that. Been a while. 800 to 1,000 years since they'd seen God do just what he did that day. Been a while since they'd seen God work like they saw God work back then. For a little while today, I want to preach to our church. I know there's several others watching. I've had preachers messaging me saying they're watching, but primarily to our church. And I want to preach on this thought. How long has it been? How long has it been? Let's pray. Lord, I pray for your power, please. I pray for liberty. I pray that you'd help the introduction to make sense so that we can get into the message and that you would just bring it home to our hearts today. Lord, we're praying for an extra emphasis on revival, uh, uh, just an extra emphasis on letting you speak to our hearts today. And I pray it would carry over into Wednesday night and Sunday when we're back and just on throughout the life of our church here. Thank you for what you're going to do in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me give you a couple of illustrations. A fisherman was at sea with his godless companions when a storm came up and threatened to sink their ship. His friends begged him to pray, but he said, It's been a long time since I've done that or even gone to church. At their insistence, he finally cried out, Oh, Lord, I haven't asked anything from you in 15 years. And if you'll help us now, I promise I won't bother you again for another 15 years. But notice what he said. It's been a long time. 
John Newton wrote the song Amazing Grace. John Newton lived in a very spiritually dark hour. He and several other preachers got together and began to pray that God would send another revival. In fact, the word was a reappearance of revival. He wrote to his friend and said this, a revival is wanted here with us as it is with you. And some of us are praying and singing for revival. He said, the song we're singing is found on the reverse side of this letter. As the man would flip over that letter, he'd see these lyrics, Savior, visit thy plantation. Send, O oh, send a gracious rain. All will come to desolation unless thou dost bless again. Break the tempter's fatal power. Turn the stony hearts to flesh and begin this very hour to revive thy work afresh. Once, O oh Lord, thy garden flourished. Every part looked gay and green. Then thy word our spirits nourished. Happy seasons we have seen. But a drought has since succeeded and a sad decline we see. Lord, thy help is greatly needed. Help can only come from thee. I believe the Christian life ought to be a life of revival. In fact, I'll say it like this. A revived life is simply Bible Christianity lived out. Revival ought not just be a meeting. Revival should not just be a service. But revival should be normal, everyday life for the child of God. We have pr plenty of kindling, if you will, to keep the fire of revival burning in our life. Just think about the fact that you're saved. That's enough to keep revival burning in your heart. David said, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. I'll never understand a Christian that acts like they've been sentenced to salvation. I'm glad I'm not going to hell. I'll never see hell, never touch hell, never taste hell. I'm a child of God, saved and that forever. There's a plenty of kindling. Think about the Bible. I'm glad I have the word of God. I don't have to doubt it, don't have to question it, don't have to criticize it. I have a perfect, preserved, powerful, inspired word of God. Thank God for my King James Bible. I thank God for prayer. I'm glad I can call Jesus anytime and he picks up every time I dial his number. I thank God for the church. Where would I be if I didn't have my church? Where would our family be? Where would yours be? And there's plenty of things like that that ought to keep us living on the revival side of life all the time. And I believe that the 100% in line with the Bible walking in the spirit, living in accordance to the word of God, Christian life ought to be a life of revival every single day. That's how it ought to be. But most of us don't live that kind of a life every single day. The average Christian life is a life of continuous ebb and flow. Sometimes we're on higher ground. Sometimes we go through low places. We have two natures. We have a carnal nature and a spiritual nature. And those two parts of our makeup constantly pull us in opposite directions. Consider your Christian life just for a minute. I'll consider mine. Is it not true that we go from pole to pole spiritually? Sometimes we're hot and sometimes we're cold. Sometimes we're zealous, sometimes we're apathetic. Sometimes I have a burden for souls, sometimes I don't have much concern for souls. We've said it much, sometimes you have great faith, sometimes you have great fear. And those two natures that we all deal with as Christians make us act a little spiritually schizophrenic. We're all over the map when it comes to our walk with God. 
And here's the danger of this ebbing and flowing of the Christian life. If you and I aren't careful, we'll find ourselves on the downward swing of our spirituality, the downward swing with our walk with God. And before you know it, our flesh gets comfortable living on the downward swing of the Christian life. And we become content to live there. And before you know it, the downside becomes the new normal in your walk with God. Let me say it like this. It is not hard to backslide and before long, you just get content to be backslidden. And one day you wake up and now you're a victim to a used to be walk with God. All you have is a past tense Christian life. Past tense victory, past tense joy, past tense love, past tense fellowship, past tense power. Why? Because you did not correct the ebb and flow of your spiritual walk with God. And now we're captives to reminiscing on how it used to be and what God used to do in our life. And today Today, I think I could do it, and I know you can do it. We can testify and say this. We've had prayers answered, but maybe it's been a while. We've had a fire for souls, but it's been a while. We've felt the moving of the Holy Ghost, but it's been a while. Why is it? Some Christians are so carnal. Some Christians are so casual. So, some Christians are so compromising. Some Christians are wanting to quit, and they're disenchanted and disgruntled. Here's why. We're living on the wrong side of the ebb and flow and didn't battle to get ourselves back where we used to be with God. Let me ask your heart today at home. How long has it been? How long has it been since God was real in your life? How long has it been since his hand was evident upon you? How long has it been since your spirituality was fresh and your walk with God was sweet? How long has it been? Fire has to be fed or it dies. Streams have to be fed or they dry up. Your physical body must be fed or it withers away. And the same thing is true about your Christian life. Jesus indicted that against the uh, church in Ephesus. We heard about it several Wednesdays ago. And here's what he said. He said, you've left your first love. They felt no hunger pains, even though they were spiritually starving themselves to death. They used to be zealous. They used to be joyous. They used to have fellowship with Christ. But somewhere along the way, they quit feeding their fire. They quit supplying their stream. They quit nourishing their body. And slowly, they digressed, they distanced, and they left their first love and Jesus indicts that and here it is the Christian life can slide from being awesome in the moment to just being awesome in memory and it can happen without you even realizing it drifting away from God happens and often it happens undetected consider Noah he didn't plan to get drunk after victory on the ark Abraham did not plan to lie after being called to the will of God Moses did not plan to lose his temper after having been in God's presence for all of those days. David, the great king after God's own heart, did not plan on committing adultery. All those were men and great men of faith, but all of those men succumbed to the ebbing and flowing, and they did not correct it and found themselves on the downward swing of their spiritual life. I want to ask your heart, and I've already preached it to myself all week long, how long has it been? My fear for my Christian life and for your Christian life and for Christian Christianity in my generation is that we fail to battle. And I mean battle. I mean fight.
fight. I mean, fight to keep ourselves right with God and on fire for God. The psalmist said, will thou not revive us again? And that just shows us it's true. They'd had revival before. They'd lived on the mountain before. They'd felt his presence before. They'd had his touch before. But somewhere along the way, the pendulum swung and they didn't correct it on the downward side and found themselves needing revival again. The stakes are too high to offer our generation. Our generation, a backslidden, complacent, apathetic, lukewarm, used to be Christianity. A past tense Christianity cannot meet a present need. A past tense Christianity won't meet the present need of souls that need the gospel and young people that need trained and churches that need planted and mission fields that need a missionary. We must have a fresh encounter with God. How long has it been? Why is it? We talk about revival, but it's past tense. How long has it been? Why is it we talk about God's power past tense? How long has it been? Why is it we talk about church building, but it's past tense? How long has it been? Why, when we talk about his goodness and his realness and the hand of God is past tense. I like the old hymn that says, yesterday, today, forever, Jesus is the same. Some may change, but Jesus never. Glory to his name. How long has it been? Now, in Bible times, there is nothing more dreaded than leprosy. To be diagnosed as a leper was to be diagnosed as a walking dead man. It's to be an outcast from society. A leper was sentenced to living whatever time he had left on earth, alone, separated from family, friends, community, and in Israel, separated from God. Leprosy was an incurable disease. It's a horrible thing. Leprosy would deaden the feelings. It would attack the peripheral nerve endings of the body so a leper wouldn't feel things that he used to feel. Leprosy would destroy the flesh. His body would be marred by that disease. Leprosy would divide families. Husbands separated from wives and wives separated from husbands and children torn from their parents due to leprosy. Leprosy would disrupt fellowship with God. A leper had to walk around crying, I am unclean, unclean. And what he's saying is, I'm not right with God. I'm not right with God. And because of that, God uses leprosy as a very appropriate type of sin. And I'm not gonna preach on that today, but can I say sin does the same thing. Sin deadens your feelings toward the things of God. That's why some folks come to church and get in and some folks can't wait to get out because they have unconfessed sin in their life. Sin will destroy your flesh. Go ask those in the hospital that couldn't put down their cigarette or their booze or their promiscuality. I mean, just go ask those that have some horrible disease in their body. Sin divides families, severs them. Sin disrupts fellowship with God. Now you consider all those things. It would have been an amazing day when Naaman, the captain of the Syrian army, was cured of his leprosy. Naaman was a warrior. Naaman was powerful. Naaman was a man of valor. He held a high office. He served his country well. He had the favor of the king, but more than all of that, Naaman was a leper. Now, I don't doubt with all of his wealth, Naaman had tried to take care of this probably on his own, and that's usually what we do. We try everything but God when what we need to do is start with God. I'd say Naaman tried every physician, he tried every herbal ointment, he tried every psychiatrist, and nobody could cure him of his leprosy. 
But can you imagine the talk in Syria and in Israel when Naaman was cleansed? Every news outlet was reporting on it. Every blogger was blogging about it. Every gossip was icing their jaw and resting their tongue. They'd been talking so much about how old Naaman had been healed of his leprosy. In 2 Kings 5, we find the story. I read it just a little bit ago and I'll just tell it to you in passing. This man Naaman, this mighty warrior, had this horrible disease. Nobody could cure him. It's impossible. Man could not do this. It was too big for man. Naaman was suffering with this disease every day of his life. There's a little maid in his house. By the way, that's the goodness of God, putting the right person in the right place to point him in the right direction. Aren't you glad God gave you somebody like that in your life to point you in the right direction? This little maid began to brag on the preacher. Better watch how you talk about the preacher at the house. Amen, right there. And she began to brag on the man of God, Elisha. And she said, I, I wish, I, I wish you were in Israel. There's a man of God over there. And when you're in trouble, that's what you need. You need a man of God. She said, there's a man of God over there. He could take care of this leprosy. I know he could do it. And Naaman begins to investigate. The king of Syria sends Naaman with some money to the king of Israel. And, and the king of Israel at first is a little apprehensive, but Elisha said, let him come. God can take care of this. I like Elisha's attitude. He does not bow to the mighty politician. He doesn't bow to the mighty general. He doesn't even go outside to greet him. You better believe Naaman's pride began to swell up within him. But can I say, there is no higher post on this earth than the man of God. Say amen right there. And he sends out a message and says, Naaman, here's what you do. You go to the Jordan River. You dip yourself in that Jordan River seven times and you'll be cured of your leprosy. Naaman didn't like that. He wanted to give a big donation. He wanted to buy Girl Scout cookies. He wanted to help an old lady across the street. He sure didn't want to dip himself in the river Jordan. But that's what God ordered. Finally, they convince him to do so. Naaman dips himself in the muddy Jordan River seven times. And the Bible said the flesh came again like under the flesh of a little child. And he was clean. Think about it. He wasn't just ceremonially cleansed. He was made new. The Bible said his flesh was like the flesh of a baby. No more scars no more scabs, no more sign of what he used to be. It was all washed away. Naaman was a new man. Medical experts couldn't do it. Scientists couldn't do it. Psychiatry couldn't do it. But God, with his power, did it in Naaman's life. God was so real to Naaman after that. He couldn't keep quiet about it. In verse 15, he says something I'm sure he never would have said before. He says, behold, now I know there is no God in all the earth. He said, but in Israel. That's a big statement for an idolater to make. He'd been raised in idolatry. He'd been serving stones and statues and wood his whole life. And now he's testifying and saying, after what just happened to me, after what I just saw, after what I just went through, I'll tell you this much, our gods aren't God. God, their gods aren't God, your gods aren't God, Israel's God is God. He saved me. He changed my life. That's a big moment, isn't it? There are some moments in the Bible where just, they're big Bible moments. And this is one of those. Naaman cleansed of his leprosy. Now, if I'd have been there, I'd want to see it again. If I'd have seen it once, if I knew God could do that, I'd want God to do it all the time. I wouldn't be content nor settled with anything less than that. Man, I want to see it again. Mark chapter 1, Jesus begins his earthly ministry. 
As we get into Mark, Mark moves at a fast pace. By the way, that's why Jesus came, to get something done. Jesus came to serve. He wasn't lazy. He wasn't laying around waiting on some government gravy train to give him his daily bread. Say amen right there. Thank you at home for saying amen. But he was active. He was a worker. If you read Mark chapter 1, here's what happens in Mark chapter 1, and then we'll get to our text, and I'll apply it, and we'll, we'll be done. Jesus calls his disciples to follow him in Mark chapter 1. He teaches in Capernaum in Mark chapter 1. He casts out unclean spirits in Mark chapter 1. He heals Peter's mother-in-law, and if that ain't God, I don't know what is. I'd have let her die. Anyway, uh, <clears throat> Jesus, heals, <laughs> Jesus heals what the Bible describes as many who are sick and oppressed in Mark chapter 1. In Mark 1, Jesus rises before the sun to pray. He preaches in Galilee. And then at the end of the chapter, he cleanses a leper. The Bible tells us in our text, verse 40 through verse 45 is the whole story. This unnamed man, he's described by his condition, a leper comes to Christ. He comes to the Lord and he begs him with faith. He said, Lord, if thou, if you want to, basically, you could change my life. If you want to, you can do for me what nobody else could do for me. If you would, you could change everything about my existence. And Jesus sees this leper, and I like Jesus, is moved with compassion. And he takes that hand that formed the world, and that hand that would be pierced with a nail for our sins, and that hand that holds us even now in its grip, and he reaches out, and he touches that leper, and the Bible says, immediately the leprosy departed from him, and he was was cleansed. Can you imagine that day? That leper hadn't felt a touch from another in a long time. It had been a long time since he'd had human contact, but he'd never felt a touch like that touch in his life. That was the hand of God, the finger of God reaching out, touching the life of that leper, and all of a sudden, the scars are gone, and the stains are gone, and the scabs are gone, and the hair is back, and all the deformities are gone, and he's made new, and like Naaman, he can't stay quiet about it but the Bible says he goes and blazes the matter abroad and he tells the whole city Jesus changed my life Jesus turned my life around that moment is another big Bible moment can you imagine have you can you imagine had you been there that day I mean don't you think his wife would have been shocked if he had his children shocked the city shocked I would say if they saw Jesus do that in Mark chapter one, do it again in Mark chapter two. And then again in Mark chapter three. And let's see it again in Mark chapter four. Don't stop now. Now that we know you can do that, keep on doing it. We want more of it. That's what I think I would be like. I don't think I can overemphasize this enough. These two stories are both miracles. There's something that man cannot do only God can do these things. Now, if I'd have been there and seen it once, I hope I'd have enough character, love for God, hunger for God to want to see it again. If I'd have gotten a taste of it, I'd want a taste of it again. If I'd have gotten a sip of that, I'd want another sip of that. If I could get in on it, I'd want to stay in on it. I don't think I'd sit back and just want to reflect. Well, that was a good day that day when old Naaman got cleansed. Boy, I remember that time, that Syrian general, that, that mighty man of valor. Boy, that was something, wasn't it? And then just go about your way. For a thousand years, maybe, 800 to a thousand years, 
Boy, I remember when God did that back then. Well, that was good that day when Naaman's life was changed. I, I mean, I wouldn't have wanted to do that. I would have wanted to move my house, move my tent back then to the banks of the Jordan River in hopes that somebody else would get dipped in there and come out made new. I'd want to see it every single day. Now, maybe you're at home, so you can't, I can't see you, but you can see me. How many of you would vote for seeing that all the time? I mean, if you could see God move like that, you'd want to see it all the time. I mean, in your marriage, you'd want to see God move like that all the time. In your child rearing, you'd want to see God move like that all the time. In your church, you'd want to see God move like that all the time. On your bus route, you'd want to see God like that all the time. In your class, you'd want to see God like that all the time. In the choir, you'd want to see God like that all the time. I think I would. I know you would. But here's the thing. 1,000 years between 2 Kings 5 and Mark chapter 1. 1,000 years. What happened? Why did they get content? Why did they settle why not see it every single day here it is fires have to be fed or they die streams have to be supplied or they dry up bodies have to be nourished or they wither away and the Christian life is exactly the same our love for God is exactly the same our fellowship with God is exactly the same our fire, zeal, whatever you want to call it for God, is exactly the same. If we don't feed it, if we don't water it, if we don't daily nourish it, it will die. You have to fight the ebb and the flow. You have to fight the up and down. You have to guard against getting a past tense testimony of what God used to do in your life. I want to ask you, how long has it been? We've seen pews packed, but how long has it been? We've gotten right with God before, but how long has it been? Maybe you've won a soul to Christ, but how long has it been? Maybe you've felt the hand of God and tasted revival. How long has it been? We all want to see God work like we saw God work in these stories. When's the last time you really hungered and saw God work like that? How long has it been? Is your fire dying? Is your stream drying up? Is your body withering away? Is your heart cold is your ground fallow like Peter do you find yourself today kind of standing afar off you're not out but you're not where you used to be how long has it been John R. Rice was preaching a revival meeting in 1939 in Waterloo Iowa at the Walnut Street Baptist Church he preached on the sin of lukewarmness neither cold nor hot just sort of plateaued there content drifting Many people came to the altar. The piano player approached him after the service and said, Dr. Rice, I've got to confess to you, I'm one of those pretty kind of Christians. And he said, what do you mean? She said, by that I mean I'm always here. I always play the piano. For the most part, I, I dress right and do right. But it's been a long time since I've had a fire for God burning in my heart. She said, tomorrow night, I promise I'll be the first one on the altar. He went back and preached the second night and said that she hit two chords on the piano, the music stopped, and she ran to the altar. How long has it been? Let me ask you this. How long has it been, and I'll be through, since you rejoiced in your salvation? Really, just thank God for the fact you're not going to hell. How long has it been since you read the Bible until you got heartburn? How long has it been? They asked Dr. Malone, how long should I read the Bible? He said, I read it till I get the heartburn. When's the last time you prayed and you felt like you were actually at the throne when you prayed? How long has it been? 
How long has it been since you heard God's voice speaking to you directly? How long has it been since the power of God was evident upon you? You might not have seen it, but others could see it. How long has it been since you really longed for the soul of another? How long has it been since you handed out a church tract? How long has it been since you lost sleep or skipped a meal praying for a prodigal to get restored? How long has it been since you shed tears over our nation? How long has it been since you found yourself on an altar? How long has it been since a song stirred you? How long has it been since a sermon moved you? How long has it been since sin bothered you? How long has it been since walking with God thrilled you? How long has it been since you felt conviction? How long has it been since you actually saw a vision of what God could do? How long has it been since you made yourself available for the will of God? How long has it been since you worshiped God for who He is and for all He's done? How long has it been since you testified to somebody else about how good God is? How long has it been since you were all honestly on fire for God? How long has it been since you sold out to Christ? How long has it been since you were 100% all in for God? How long has it been since you had to be calmed down and not pepped up for God? How long has it been since you encouraged somebody in the Lord? How long has it been since you comforted somebody who's hurting? How long has it been since you forgave somebody that hurts you? How long has it been since you accepted forgiveness when somebody came to you? How long has it been since you apologized for a wrong that you committed? How long has it been since you lived for others and not for self? How long has it been since God was so real and the church was so dear to your heart that it just consumed you? It might be my favorite hymn. I, I like there is a fountain filled with blood, but I love the song, Come Thou Fount. It's a great song. It might be my favorite hymn. Robert Robinson wrote the song, and this is probably a familiar illustration. The hymn even talks about prone to wander, and he did. Robert Robinson enjoyed sweet fellowship with the Lord, and he didn't lose his salvation, but he did lose his fellowship. He got out of the will of God and found himself in the world and was ravaged by sin and in bondage to those things. And to try to ease his conscience and take the sting and edge off of the conviction, he began to travel much. And by the way, you're not going to solve your sin problem by bouncing around everywhere. He began to try to just outrun it, conviction. If you ever outrun conviction, that's a scary place to live, by the way. He found himself in a stagecoach on one of his travels, and there's a young lady sitting across from him reading a hymn. And she did not know who he was, and she said, what do you think about this hymn that I'm reading? And turned it to him, and he began to read and began to weep. And it was, Come Thou Fount. And he said, I'm the one who wrote that hymn. And he said, as he wept, he said, I wrote this when I was near to God. He said, but it's been a long time since I felt his presence like that. I'd give anything to experience again the joy I knew back then. That young lady looked at that man and said, Sir, those streams of mercy you wrote about in your hymn, they still flow for you today. And can I say, Christian, simple thought for this morning to leave you with. How long has it been? I understand we need, we need church and fellowship and things, and, and it's harder than ever probably to stay stirred up. When we were growing up, I'll give you a silly illustration. When we were growing up, we'd drink Hershey syrup in milk. You ever seen that before? I mean, it's like a hillbilly delicacy. You drink it with your pinky up, you know. But we take that glass cup and put, put, put a little bit of milk in and squeeze about, you know, four inches of Hershey syrup in the bottom of it and stir it up to where it was really dark. And you drink it slow because you don't want to waste it. Drink it slow. 
But here's what you do. You drink it and set it down, and here's what would happen after a while. You sit it down, then you pick it back up and take a drink, and it's nasty. You know why? You look at it, it's not dark anymore. It's kind of like an off-white color, and there's about this much chocolate syrup settled at the bottom. And here's what we found out, and this is a silly illustration, but it's true of our Christian life. If we didn't keep it stirred up, it didn't stay sweet. You had to keep it stirred, constantly stirred, to make it good. And the same thing's true about my life and your life for God. If we don't keep it stirred, we're going to find it's not as sweet as it used to be. And the dangerous thing about our flesh is it'll get content to live on the downward side and make that the new normal when it comes to our Christian life, our walk with God. How long has it been? Thank you for listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. For more information about our ministry or to find out how to get in contact with us, visit our website at nvbc.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.